Have you ever met a prophet before? Have you ever met a prophet? We have this sort of little bit of a love-hate relationship with prophets these days. We've consigned them to myth and to legend, to the things of the past. The Greeks had their prophets, their oracles very famously, one called Cassandra. The prophet cursed that she would always see the future but never be believed. I don't know, we still have this kind of love-hate relationship with prophets today. Professor Trelawney in Harry Potter, if that's kind of your world, right? Is she really a prophet? Does she? If you go back and read the book, she gets everything right, by the way, just as a little aside. Have you ever met a prophet? It would take something pretty special for us to believe somebody who claimed to be a prophet. I mean, at the best of times, we don't listen to people who would present themselves with authority. We don't listen to scientists. We certainly don't listen to politicians. Why would we believe somebody who claims to be a prophet? They would have to have a pretty special message, not only for us to believe them, but to act upon what they say. I've met one person who claimed to be a prophet. Uh, She came and visited the church I was part of at that time and she visited our church service and so she was invited to speak as a a prophet and I have no idea what she said, it must have been good. And then afterwards you had the opportunity to go and talk with this prophet and she would prophesy over you. She would give you some sort of word for your life, a word from the Lord about your future. Now I didn't go and listen and talk to her. But the people who did said to me, you know, it wasn't particularly impressive. It, it sounded like the horoscope that you might read in the paper. It was kind of vague. Maybe something that could come true, couldn't come true. It was very expected. It was very immediate. Oh, you'll, you'll meet somebody. What does that mean? Things will change at work. What, what, what does that mean? This prophet didn't inspire confidence. The things that she said, well, it was very hard to be moved by them. Today, we're considering a prophecy. We're looking at Isaiah 53, the second passage that Joe read for us. I'd invite you to keep that open. If you've got a Bible in front of you, I want to speak to what's here, not make up my own words. And this prophecy is quite different. I want to suggest to you that we need to listen to this prophecy at least for three reasons. Firstly, What Isaiah prophesied was thoroughly unexpected. It's one thing for me to say to you, this afternoon in Ingleburn, it will probably be sunny with a few clouds. Well, yes, that's not much of a prophecy, is it? You're sitting there thinking, well, David, so far you're not telling me anything new. If I said to you, this afternoon, there's going to be three feet of snow in Ingleburn, Firstly, you're thinking I'm a loony. But then, if it did snow this afternoon, you would go, hang on a second. That was unexpected. How could this guy know that? Israel was expecting a rampaging king who would destroy the nations and make them rulers of the world. And instead, Isaiah prophesied about a weak, pitiful man. Israel was expecting an eternal kingdom. A king who would live forever. And Isaiah prophesied the suffering servant who would die. Israel was expecting that this one would be blessed by God and instead he considered him stricken by God, smitten by him 
and afflicted. Isaiah is prophesying three feet of snow this afternoon in Ingleburn. It is thoroughly unexpected. Secondly, it is precisely detailed. I can do the horoscope thing. I can tell you pretty much guaranteed that at some point in the next month you're going to meet someone and, uh, and a few things are going to change in your life and maybe one day you'll wake up and think, wow, what a great prophecy. You're thinking, well, that's dumb, David. Of course that's going to come true. It's just so vague. If I said to you, come back here on the 27th of April, 2022, and lie under the tree out there, and the sky will be blue except for one cloud that will look like a unicorn with rainbows coming out of its mouth, okay? And if you did come back at that time and you saw what I was telling you, it would be astonishing. Isaiah prophesied with such clarity and detail. The chosen one, he said, the true king of Israel will be a nobody. Not only that, but he will be despised. He will be killed. And as he is killed, he will go silently. He won't say a word before his accusers. After he dies, they will make a grave with his rich man. And get this, not only all of that, but he will be risen to life. Isaiah's prophecy, thoroughly unexpected, precisely detailed, and thirdly, it was unmistakably fulfilled. For 700 years after this prophecy, a man walked on earth, a man named Jesus, who ticks every single box. You did come back on the 27th of April 2022 and there was one cloud in the sky shaped like a unicorn spewing rainbows, right? Exactly what he prophesied happened. And so here is a prophecy we must listen to. For it was given 2,700 years ago about a man who walked on earth 2,000 years ago and yet it makes claims about you and about me. I want to show you four things in this prophecy. Four things of what Isaiah saw into the future. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. The first thing that Isaiah sees is rebel subjects. Rebel subjects. Who has believed our message, he says. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the answer is clearly... Not many people at all. In fact, hardly anyone has believed the message. Israel themselves, time and time and time and time again, failed to believe the word of God. Why? Why did so few, so few people back then and so few people today fail to believe the message? No, so few people believe the message. Well, one answer is given in chapter 53 and verse 6. We all, and if you know the song, you're going to have to try really hard not to sing it in your head, okay? We all, as if we were sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us, each one of us then and each one of us now, turned to his own way. Here is the very heart of unbelief. It's not that God is unbelievable. God is thoroughly believable. The heart of unbelief is that we choose our own way is that we are rebel subjects, which is a real problem. The Bible is unambiguous. God created everything. That includes you. That includes me. 
And he not only created us way back then and then forgot about us and left us to do our own thing, he still sustains us moment by moment. The very breath you breathe now is his gift to you. Created by God for his purposes. Created by God for his glory. And how many of us live that way? How many of us live as if we were created by one who is greater than us for his purpose and for his glory? The answer is, well, not many, if any at all. We have the presumption of choosing our own purposes, of choosing to live for our own glory. Now, maybe you're saying to me, well, hang on, David, that's a bit strong to call me a rebel. I mean, no, to be perfectly honest, I hardly ever think about God, let alone rebel against him. I mean, I'm not a rebel, am I? Do you know the easiest way to not feel like a rebel? To not think about it. To not think about God. See, if I ignore God, then it feels perfectly natural to do my very own thing. It doesn't feel like rebellion at all. But, of course, that doesn't excuse you, does it? Take, for example, Salah Abdeslam. Does anyone know Salah Abdeslam? He was captured very recently in Belgium, one of the men uh, implicated in the terrorist bombings in France. Can you imagine as he's brought before the judge and the judge says to him, you have committed acts of terror, you have broken the laws of our land, and he says, oh, really? No, no, I wasn't thinking about your laws. I just, I just chose to ignore them. They don't exist, right? And so I can do whatever I want. Do you think that's going to carry any weight? No. You are a rebel. You have committed what you have done. You have broken the law, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not. You can't say, I've ignored you, therefore it doesn't apply to Oh, Oh, you're the king. Oh, oh I just ignored you, so I figured it wouldn't matter. Isaiah is very clear. We are rebel subjects. We conflict with God's will and we choose to ignore it. Unfortunately, our problem doesn't stop there. For the second thing that Isaiah sees in this vision is that we rejected God's servant. We are rebel subjects who rejected the servant. It's there in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The one that God sent to save the world, we rejected. Humanity back then rejected Jesus, and we today continue to reject Jesus. Why? We see it in verse 2. He grew up before him. Jesus grew up before God like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Rebel subjects that we are, we love power. We love majesty. We love things that will say to us, well done in your rebellion. And this one, he came as a humble servant. 
His views of life and money and possessions and morality and relationships and lust and prayer and humility and fear and death and God and us throws our own rebellion in our faces. Jesus does not endorse our rebellion against God. And so there was nothing about him that led us to desire him. The ugliness of our rebellion was displayed. It made it harder to ignore God. He was lowly and unimpressive. And he showed our aspirations for power and reputation as the evil that they are. His happy poverty just made our desires for more look foolish. His willingness to suffer for others made our cravings for comfort look oh so selfish. It's self-protection. That's why we despise him. And it's still true today. We are rebel subjects who reject the servant. And if that was all that would happen, well, it would be a real trouble, wouldn't it? But God is in control and his purposes still come about. For this is the third thing that Isaiah sees in his vision. He sees a ransoming substitute. How is it that rebel subjects can come back and be right with God again? Well, Isaiah sees a ransoming substitute. Verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. And of verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the very heart of the Christian message. This is the heart of Easter. Chocolate bunnies and eggs, they're all lovely and make us fat. But the heart of Easter is Jesus. The heart of Easter is substitution. His death in our place. And I'll tell you what, this is good news. This is very good news for rebels who are willing to lay their rebellion down. For rebels who are willing to come back to God, God chose to bear in his servant what we deserved. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was chastised. He was whipped. He was wounded. He was punished. He was killed. He took it on himself that you and I might have peace and be healed. That is the heart of Easter. You can see why it's a prophecy for us. For this offer that God made in his servant is an offer that still stands today. Rebel, lay down your rebellion. And God says, I will buy your peace. I will bear your punishment that you may receive peace and healing. For rebel subjects who rejected the servant, there is a ransoming substitute. The fourth thing, though, that Isaiah sees, well, we're still back at the problem where we started. Who has believed our message? 
Rebel subjects don't want to come back to God. On our own, we won't see the gospel. We won't understand it. We won't grasp it. The purposes of God, if it were up to us, would very well fail. For we love our rebellion. But of course God's purposes won't fail. He won't allow them to. What you and I need is restored sight. Restored sight. And Isaiah sees even that. Chapter 52 and verse 15, the little bit before. So this servant will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him for what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Hardly anyone understands because the arm of the Lord has not been revealed to them. But the arm of God will be revealed. Us rebels, we don't see and grasp the gospel on our own. But God is not going to let the work, the death of his servant be in vain. He will bear his arm. He will open eyes. He will give understanding. God himself will do what is needed that you and I may be able to see the gospel. Like Isaiah, see Jesus. Isaiah had to look forward to Jesus. We have the privilege of being able to look back at what has already happened. How it is that such an extraordinary prophecy, so unexpected, so detailed, could be unmistakably fulfilled in Jesus. This truly is a prophecy that changes lives. It still changes lives today. And so let me ask you, do you know that you are a rebel to the one who created you? and to the one who moment by moment sustains you. You can continue to ignore him and pretend that that's not true. But his word to you is, you are a rebel. And you can know whether you are or not. Do you reject his servant? Do you reject the one that God sent into the world to save the world? The one who shows our rebellion for what it is, selfish, evil. And so I have to ask you this morning, will you believe in Jesus? Will you place your trust in the ransoming substitute, the one who died, that you might have peace and be healed? You don't don't need to know all the intricacies right now. That can come in time. You can learn and study and there's years to do that. You don't need to have every last little nut and bolt sorted out. But will you begin by asking God for that restored sight that he promises? Asking him to show you the gospel. Asking him for peace between you. Acknowledging your rebellion. Thanking him for Jesus and turning back to him. Now, you were given on the way in, or as you were seated, two little pieces of paper. We'll talk about the larger one in a moment. The smaller one, right down the bottom, there's a little line that says, I'd like to be contacted about what I've heard today. Perhaps something of what I've said has struck a chord. You've realised, actually, I am a rebel. I have rejected the servant. I need to respond to this ransoming substitute. 
Put your name, your phone number, tick that box. Joe or I will call you. We'll organise to catch up, have a coffee, talk it over. There is nothing more important than this. It's Easter. We've got a four-day long weekend. You can't tell me you're too busy. You've got two public holidays. Let's make sure you're right with God. Now, if you want more information, if you'd like to hear this again, if you want to keep exploring all of these ideas, we have lots of opportunities for you to do so. You can come and do one-on-one, have a coffee with us, keep coming to church, come to Term 2, we'll talk about it in a little while, we'll have lots of opportunities for that. But please, please, don't keep ignoring God. If there ever was a prophecy to make you look up, stand up and listen, this is it. For Jesus, the servant, the saviour of the world, died in your place. I don't know if I can say happy Easter to that. If he is your substitute, then it is indeed a very, very good Friday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary word that you spoke to Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. Unexpected, precisely detailed, and yet, Father, thoroughly fulfilled in your Son. Thank you that through Isaiah you teach us that we are rebels to you, our Creator. That even today we continue to reject your servant. Father, thank you that Jesus died, our ransoming substitute. And so, Father, we ask, please, would you restore our sight? Would you show us that which on our own we cannot see? Would you please give us understanding and belief such that we may return to your purposes, return to living for your glory, that we may have peace and be healed? Amen.